So the reading is Genesis 47, verse 7 to 12, and then I'm going to move to verse 23 to 31. So Genesis 47, verse 7. Then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramesses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food, according to the number of their dependents. Verse 23. Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have this day bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. And at the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four fifths shall be your own as seed for the field and as food for yourselves and your households and as food for your little ones. And they said, you have saved our lives. May it please my Lord, we will be servants to Pharaoh. So Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt. And it stands to this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth. The land of the priests alone did not become Pharaoh's. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen. And they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt for 17 years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were 147 years. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I have found favour in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. He answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. Thanks, Hannah. Um, why don't we pray before we come to this part of Genesis? Father, we do thank you for your word. We, we praise you so much that in your word, we find a hope for the future. We find uh, promises that are certain and secure. And Father, we pray now that your spirit would be at work in each one of us, uh, bringing us the comfort of the gospel, uh, encouraging us, challenging us, uh, so that we might cling to your word and to the Lord Jesus um, evermore for his glory. Amen. Well, if you don't know me, uh, my name is Rich. I work at a church in Kensington. Uh, I work alongside Mark Harris, who I'm sure you all know. Um, I just wanted to start with a question uh, for our kind of time together this afternoon, which is what is the number one cause of conflict in relationships? Uh, why do you have those kind of arguments with people you really care about over what seems to be almost nothing at all um you know who who fills the dishwasher who you know unloads it who's done the washing all that kind of stuff and you think why on earth are we is something so small creating something so 
big. And for, for lots of people, uh, they've said that it's, it's mainly down to uh, setting kind of realistic expectations for that relationship. Um, so unrealistic expectations cause uh, our relationships with others to blow up uh, and for us to, to kind of fall out with people, to stop speaking with them, uh, to maybe start thinking that um, maybe they're not really for us, they don't love us, all that kind of stuff. And actually, for the people of God, that can happen with our relationship with the Lord. I, I guess for many of us, we have certain expectations of him. And, and for, for us as his people, for those who Christ has died for, we might assume that our, our lives would look a little better than they are at the moment. Because as we've seen in Genesis, the Lord's intention is to, to bless his people. And yet if you look around and if you look at the church, particularly in the West, it might feel like he hasn't really fulfilled those expectations. And so maybe we in response to that, have stopped praying. We stopped communicating with him. Or maybe there's just this underlying feeling of, of resentment or confusion. We don't really know what's going on in the church or, or in the world at the moment. And so we feel a bit lost. We feel distant maybe in our relationship with the Lord. I know many in our church who have expressed those kind of feelings in the last few weeks and months. And of course, we've all felt it at times in our lives. And yet the, the Joseph story, as we've seen it so far, is reminding of who God is and setting kind of right expectations for what our relationship with him looks like. It's, it's in fact what the whole Bible is, is trying to do. It's trying to make sense of who God is and how he acts towards those who love him. And so even as we come to this narrative this afternoon, well, it's very clear, isn't it, that, that God has been blessing his people. Uh, the word blessing is, is there throughout. Uh, and the word blessing is very important for not just Genesis, but the whole Bible storyline. In fact, the first time that God really starts to intentionally interact with people, uh, back in Genesis 12, well, he makes a lot of promises to the, this man, Abraham. This is what he says to Abraham. He says, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. See, lots of blessing language. That's what God wants for his people. And, and so in this passage, we're going to see how God continues to fulfill that promise of blessing. And we're going to see it in three scenes. Firstly, as Jacob blesses Pharaoh. Uh, secondly, as Joseph blesses Egypt, and then as Jacob looks to the future blessing. So first uh, scene, first point, uh, Jacob blesses Pharaoh. And again, here we see kind of a relationship where we might have certain expectations. See, before, uh, before this, Joseph has been, uh, been putting the kind of pieces together to secure a, a land called Goshen for his family. This is a rich far farming land. It would have been perfect for his people. But before that, he needs to introduce his father to Pharaoh. And we get this verse, uh, verse seven from our reading. It says, then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And here's the, the odd thing. The expectation was that the greater would bless the lesser. 
And so we naturally assume that or Pharaoh should be the one blessing Jacob. And yet again, we see that twice uh, Jacob blesses Pharaoh instead. Even as, as Jacob kind of totters in on a Zimmer frame, uh, one commentator uh, said Jacob at this point is like sovereign old age personified. You know, the, the kind of person you meet where um, nothing surprises them. They're so old that they've been through every kind of situation in their life. And Jacob at 130 now cannot be bothered with royal decorum. And so he decides he's the one who's gonna bless Pharaoh, not the other way around. And yet we see that even within that blessing, he, he describes the years of his life as few and evil. I guess we might agree with him. He's had a tough life. He lost his son uh, very early on. And they've been living in a, a world where the famine has been taking hold of the whole land. And yet he still feels like he can bless Pharaoh. Why? I think because here we're, we're being shown that Jacob really does believe those promises made to Abraham. He believes that he is one of the patriarchs who is there to bless the world. And so he's going to do that as he blesses Pharaoh. Of course, it's difficult to know what this blessing actually means. Um, so we're going to come to our, our second scene, our second point, where Joseph blesses Egypt. And this is really important because this is where the blessing becomes kind of tangible. And Jacob doesn't just use empty words. They're, they're backed up through his son. So, so Joseph comes, he's come to Egypt through this kind of providential hand of God. And now we finally see why God has done all this, why he's orchestrated all these events so that Joseph is there uh, to look after not just his own people, but the entire land of Egypt as they're plunged in this, this dreadful famine, as people who struggle. And yet, why is it that they, that they survive? Well, because Joseph has been carefully managing Egypt's resources. We didn't have it read, but the other parts of the passage talk about kind of Joseph's plan in terms of what he's going to do with the, the grain and the wheat stores they have and how he's going to carefully measure out year on year and give to the people exactly what they need. And so through all of this, he can sustain and save everyone in Egypt. Uh, and so we, we, we saw it, didn't we, in our reading. So this is what it says from verse 23. It says, behold, I have this day brought you in your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you and you shall sow the land and that the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh and fourth fifth shall be your own as seed for the field and as food for yourselves and your households and as food for your little ones. And they said, you have saved our lives. May it please my Lord, we will be servants to Pharaoh. Of course, as we read this, there is this kind of nitty gritty kind of issue of, uh, of slavery. Is, is this kind of okay, what's going on here? I just want to kind of reassure us that uh, the, the Egyptians kind of agree to this. It's not that they're being forced into bondage. Um, they agree to, to serving in this way because they realize that actually what's at stake is their very lives. Um, and also it's important to notice what the narrative picks up. So the writer of Genesis, what he really emphasizes here is that they see Joseph as their savior. This Israelite man who was once uh, you know, cast down to the, bo the bottom of a well, forgotten by all, uh, once was imprisoned for years by Potiphar, 
and now he is the savior of Egypt. That's what the sovereign hand has, has done. That's where it's brought him so that he can save a people. But it isn't just the Egyptians who are saved. If we read on in verse 27, because so the Egyptians are just about surviving, but God's people are thriving in this famine. So verse 27, if you read, says, thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. So Joseph blesses uh, Egypt and God's people. God's people haven't just been saved from this famine, but they are prospering in the land. He uses this, this language of being fruitful and multiplying uh, greatly. So Egypt is, is kind of acting like one of those vast greenhouses. Uh, you might have seen them where they propagate plants and flowers on an industrial level uh, so they can sell them, sell them off to people. Uh, and what do you need there? You need conditions that are perfect for the plants to grow, the right heat, the right amount of water, uh, everything that, so that these, these plants grow and thrive. Uh, one writer even says that Israel's time in Egypt is like the kind of incubation of the covenant people of God. You know, where they're looked after, they're given everything they need to multiply. And yet we've got to remember, this is all happening in the midst of a famine. And so it's very clear, isn't it, that it is only the sovereign Lord's hand that has enabled him to bless his people in this way. And again, I, I hope you're reassured we're shown God's intent for us as his people. See, we have the same God, don't we? He's like a divine gardener. He looks after his people. He tends for them. He cares for them, makes sure that they grow, even when the soil around us is hard and difficult. God's intent for us through all the hardship of our lives is to see us prosper. And that's a great encouragement, I think, this afternoon. Of course, we, we do need to be careful, don't we, that we don't misapply this kind of passage. See, what, what is God blessing us with primarily? Well, he's blessing us with the gospel. And not, not necessarily material wealth um, or kind of uh, growth in kind of family numbers or anything like that. Now, as Ephesians 1 says, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. So under the new covenant with Jesus as Lord, God is prospering us pr primarily through the gospel. So we're adopted, aren't we, as his, as his children. Uh, we have the spirit given to us, giving us new life. With the blessing of being part of his family here on earth, of having our sins forgiven, of the promise of, of eternal life in the world to come. And so these spirit, spiritual blessings are meant to be used so that we might bless others in turn, that we might spread that good news of the Lord Jesus throughout the world. That is how God is, is blessing the world now. And not and not materially, primarily, but through his chosen blessed man, Jesus Christ, and the people that he has saved, who've been formed into his body, the church. Of course, at this time, particularly at this time, in a global pandemic, we might still be doubting God's goodness and all this. Is he really for us? And again, Genesis has the same kind of concern. And it wants us to see that God really is good. He really is for his people. And I think you can see that just in a really small snapshot with what he does with Jacob. Uh, we had it read, but I don't know if you noticed that Jacob spends 17 years in Egypt. 
And those years are significant. That number is really important. And it's actually very poetic in the story of Genesis because it was 17 years that he had with Joseph before he lost, he lost him. And so now at the end of Jacob's life, he's 130, and yet God blesses him with 17 more years, uninterrupted, uh, where he can joyfully walk with his son. Um, he can see him grow. He can see that his son has become the saviour of Egypt. See, that is the kind of God that we believe in. Someone who cares about reuniting a father and his son and giving them those 17 years to prosper and to grow together. And yet, I wonder if we, if we go even further, though, I wonder if you notice that Jacob, never, he never really gets comfortable in Egypt. And that, that brings us to our third point this afternoon, because Jacob is always looking to the future blessing. See, again, throughout this chapter, I wonder if you notice Jacob refers to himself as a sojourner. We see it in Pharaoh, where he, he recounts his life, and he says that he's always been a sojourner, never at home anywhere. And now as the chapter closes, he is kind of preparing for his death. And so verse 29, he says this. He says, when the, the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, if now I have found favour favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. Uh, this is a solemn promise that Jacob makes with Joseph, uh, confirmed by Joseph putting his hand under Jacob's thigh. I wouldn't recommend that as a sign of how you make solemn deals uh, now. It probably won't go down, won't go down very well. Um, but you can see his concern. He doesn't, he doesn't want to be buried in Egypt because he knows that this really isn't where he belongs. He belongs with the rest of the patriarchs in Israel. That's what he's talking about with this burial place. And so Jacob here is kind of, he's, he's looking far ahead, hundreds of years, to a time when God will deliver his people out of Egypt. Because he knows that Egypt isn't their permanent residence. Even as they're, they're blossoming, even as they're growing and multiplying, he knows this is kind of temporary accommodation, as it were. And so for all the blessing he's received through Egypt, those wonderful 17 years catching up with Joseph, he knows Egypt isn't his home because he's shaped by the promises, the promises of a land that Israel will call their own, that promised land. And so the country he lives in now is just a kind of staging post for the next step in God's plan. And I think, again, we see here in Jacob, someone who is kind of the quintessential man of faith. Someone who looks ahead and rests all his, his hope and his trust in what God's word has said in the past about the future. And so, yes, even as God's people now, we are to be a blessing to the world, aren't we? And we're going to bless people through the gospel. But we're also to look ahead to the promises to come, to know this, this really isn't it. We're still uh, journeying through this life to the promised lands, to a, a better world. Um, if I can illustrate it like this, I, I think uh, it's meant to be a bit like the, the feeling you get when you go camping. Now, I haven't been camping in a long time, but I do remember that when you first go, there is so much excitement as you 
you know, you get to know the area, you set up your tent, you make the, the fire, you and they boil water, uh, cook food. It's all very exciting when it's new. And then after a few days, you realize that, you know, you can't wash properly. You don't really get a good night's sleep because you don't have a proper bed. And you begin to long for the comforts of home. Uh, the warm shower, uh, the ice cream in the freezer that you can't really bring with you on a camping holiday, uh, seeing your family again, seeing everyone you love. So that longing, that sense of longing, I wonder if we have that for heaven. Or maybe are we getting slightly comfortable in this world, uh, seeing everything that it can offer us? Maybe it can satisfy our kind of deepest longings. But I think and I hope that actually the, the pandemic has shown us uh, that this world truly isn't our home. Uh, that actually there are still many things that are, are wrong with this world. And so actually it should help us not to get too comfortable, uh, not, not to make this our home, but to know that we're still passing through. We're still on that journey towards God's promised land. And so I hope and I, my prayer for, for all of us is that we are being shaped by these promises and that we're resting our feet securely on this foundation and, and that God's word won't, uh, won't fail and that God's character is good and that he is sovereign. And so he will bring about this new world and he will bring us into it. So I'm going to pray now that those promises would shape us this afternoon and in the weeks to come. Let's pray. Father God, we do praise you so much that you are a God who longs to bless your people and to bless the world. And Father, we praise you that ultimately we have seen that through the Lord Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection, you have blessed us beyond anything we can know by forgiving us, by giving us your spirit, by adopting us as your children and giving us a hope uh, beyond this world. And so, Father, we pray that we would rest our feet on the secure foundation of your word and of your promises to your people. Father, pray that we would be people shaped by those promises, people of faith who trust in all that you have done for us and will do in the future. And we pray this for your glory and in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.